fellow Marvelites who are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel comics on sale February 15, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M, if you guys didn't know, stands for magician. Also... You do kids' birthdays, right? Yes, all the kids' birthdays. Any kid, yeah. any birthday, all the time. Anyway, let's roll on because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics where we give you a bunch of details and reasons to check out every new comic every week especially our three personal picks of the week the three books we say you gotta pick them up and then we're gonna tell you about every other issue coming out this week we'll pick favorite non-spoilery reasons for you to check them out we're gonna hand out awards to each of those issues pulled from a quote in one of this week's releases plus we'll run through the new infinity comics hitting marvel unlimited some highlights from issues new to mu this week and some picks for collections on sale this week and on top of that we've got a guest later in the show joining us for a reading club talking about about something you can read in Marvel Unlimited. Jasmine, who we got? We are talking to Darren Shan, who is an editor here at Marvel. He's worked on books like Silver Surfer Ghostlight, Doctor Strange, and Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. We're going to be talking to him about one of his favorite stories um, from the Marvel Knights era, Daredevil, the King of Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Real good, but we got to get into our picks of the week, starting with Marvel's Voices, Wakanda Forever, number one. Now, you know, there's there's a lot of great issues this week. Uh, one of the reasons that I picked this is because, one, I freaking love an anthology book. I love an anthology book to me is like going to a good buffet. You go over here and you're like, mm, give me some of that. 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 Mm -mm 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 -mm. You get all these different tastes, all these different flavors. You're you're eaten well. That's what this book is. It is full of really good stuff, starting with a great introduction uh, by like an essay by Frederick Joseph, who is an awesome writer, a great activist. He was on This Week in Marvel November 18th of last year for an interview we did with him and artist Nicholas Smith because Frederick has a Black Panther uh, Wakanda Forever tie-in book about a, a young girl in Wakanda. It's great. It's great, great stuff. And Frederick and I have a really interesting history, but he has this great introduction talking about the, the cultural impact and the importance of Wakanda and Black Panther. And so from the start, I was like, yeah, I'm into this. Then we have a whole bunch of stories because this is an anthology. First one by Karma Horn and Aletha E. Martinez is a blast. It's it, one of the things I love about it is it reflects current comics, the stuff that's been happening in John Ridley's run. And then also you're getting some great insight about former Black Panthers, the Dora Milaje, of course, because Karma wrote a book about the Dora Milaje. It's great. Um, so very happy to read that. And even there's also like an interview pulled from uh, Marvel's Voices podcast with Aletha E. Martinez and her history going back to um, the, the Black Panther runs from 20 years ago, which is really, really neat. Um, there is a Changemeyer story called The Education of Changemeyer, uh, which is a character really that uh, during Ta-Nehisi Coates' run had a lot of play. And so you're getting to... Um, getting to get his history and some of his origins in, in here by Adam Serber, who is a writer for the Atlantic and art by Todd Harris. Then we roll on into remember the name, which is a story by our pals, uh, Mirawa Ayodale and Dot Nakande, who have been on the show before. Love them getting to see them do this story, which is basically Shuri versus an alien God. And it is tremendous. It is 
it feels so friggin' huge and it is. it is it is it is it takes 100%. place in the future yeah I, and it's like one of those things is like man give me a year run up to that story give me that story in full in big oh man i love those guys they're so good they're, they're so, so good, good. oh that's ridiculous. Um, we've got a story called The Illusion of Fairness by Dr. Sheena C. Howard and Marcus Williams, which is really great. Basically seeing how the Dora Milaje are trained and, and really thinking about the lessons it takes to impart what it means to be a warrior, what it means to be Dora Milaje, which is terrific. And then and then there is a final story called The Last Black Panther, written and drawn by Juni Ba. Which, I like. I oh my god! Like I love Juni Ba so much, and I, when I got to this book, it is very much like his type of storytelling, his type of art. It is mm-hmm. gorgeous. It is very creative in terms of like what this last Black Panther is or who they are, and it is very much the like weird and intangible style of Juni Ba's mm-hmm. like storytelling. Like if you haven't read Monkey Meat, go read Monkey Meat. All five issues are out. But it's that same type of weirdness and just, like, cartooniness. And, like, I didn't mean to, like, completely steal your spot here on this one, Ryan. But this was my it's absolute great. favorite. Oh, my God. And I love, so love, love seeing this. Um, speaking of cartoons, if you are a fan of Samurai Jack or, or anything by Gendy Tartakovsky, uh, the great cartoonist and artist and storyteller, there's vibes of that in Juni's work. And it's just... It's exciting. I want this animated. I want this story given to me as as something I can I can see move because I can see it move when I read the pages. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Also, there's a quote in this issue. I can't remember which story it was, but I loved it. It was, "I am never sure, but I am always right," and mm-hmm. that is T'Challa. That is Black Panther. Come that on, is man. T'Challa to a T. Oh my God, I love it. I love it so much. This was a good a good anthology. I'm really excited for this to hit shelves for everybody to pick up. Yeah. But next up, we got my first pick of the week, Fantastic Four, issue number four. And if you've been following the series, you know that the past three issues have been kind of like, almost like one-shot stories following each member of the Fantastic Four. We've learned that something has happened. We don't know what it was, but it was big enough to almost like break this team apart and also leave the world, leave a bad taste in the mouth of like, the general population of the world. They no longer are rooting for the Fantastic Four. What did they do? You'll find out in this issue here because they go into depth on what exactly happened um, in New York City, what happened to the Baxter building. Remember, we saw a tease in the last issue where it was just a giant hole in Midtown. Um, We get the entire revelation here, and I Mm -hmm. love that because it's not something that we're just going to keep dragging out. Here it is. Here's the story. And when you get to it, Man, is it a doozy. It's written by Ryan North, art by Ivan Coelho. We have colors by Jesus Arbatov and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. If we would have started off with this issue, I don't know if it would have hit as hard. Um, And this is something that I've been like noticing a lot of storytelling. A lot of like shows have been doing this a lot too, where we get certain like beats of the mystery or certain story beats um, or certain character introductions first but they're not necessarily the main characters. Like we get like a piece of the world first and then we we, we scale it back and we get to see what exactly happened to the world and the, the fallout that has caused the, you know, the previous stories that we've read. And when you get there, it is such a gut punch that 
I was mad at Reed. And like, this happens all the time, right? Like Reed always does something and everyone's like, dude, why'd you do that? And he's just like, well, it's the, the solution. And it's like, yeah, it's a solution, but there's a little bit more to it. There's more nuance here. You can't just make this call yourself. And that is very much what this is. And man, did I hate Reed after finishing this issue. <laughs> it's all rational and logical. There's like the heart it, it does come into it, but it's after the fact. It's one of those things. Reed pulls the logic trigger because he has to. And then mm-hmm. the, you know, the fallout affects everyone. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, he did ask the thing. Do you trust me before he did it? And things said yes. But that doesn't that does not get him like out of this like that is brutal but we do get to see the team come back together finally after these past three issues and i'm excited to see where it goes next this is a great launching pad for this series yeah what i think helps make this issue so impactful is not just the way it shows the effects it has on the fantastic four which of course it is the most profound for us as readers who are following their story but it's the way we get to see the effects that decision has on everyday people and how you mm-hmm. then start to feel yourself in those situations and and how you would be affected by something that like that. It's just I started thinking about, oh, God, my what my life would be had I been in that situation We're we're dancing around what happens because we don't want to spoil it. But yeah, great stuff. Everybody go read Fantastic Four, please. It's real good. Also real good, X-Men number 19. I know, I know, for any of our listeners who are not X-Men fans, suck it up, Buttercup, because... How are you not? There are people. There, There's tens of you. You're like the never nudes. There, there's a couple of you out there. Um, and I'm so, sorry. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, too, because X-Men is the greatest thing in the world and this issue reminds us why it is uh, it is written by jerry duggan art by stefano caselli colors by federico blee and lettering by vcs clayton cowles <sighs> this one there's there's a couple things in here we've we're following a story uh with with forge and monet that they are going uh on a wild wild trip but i just the two of them are such like swagger and they just they have such such i don't not style but just confidence and and just a vibe to them and especially when you put them together there's just a shot that stevano draws of them before they're going on their trip forge just big barrel chested awesome like hands on his hips like doing his thing there's even a a great quote here uh that opens the issue from forge it always starts with a problem an impractical unattainable unworkable problem that needs to be solved then i solve it and it's just you just imagine him then like cocking one of his giant krakoan shotguns and being like i got this and He's so cool. Anybody who doesn't love Forge, get the frick out. He's the best. And then you've got Monet. But in this story, they get into some wild situations. And that's like the B story of this issue, which we spend a lot of time on. But we also have a whole big story about the brood. There's two issues really focusing on the brood this week. This one is and they're they're not specifically connected, although there's X-Men and Captain Marvel. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we've got the this X-Men team trying to figure out why the brood are really rampaging that we, we saw in the previous issue. They've hit someone very close to the X-Men to Cyclops. So what's going on? Uh, and then we, we, one of the cool things we get to see the 
caste system and the life cycle of the brood. I'm very happy that that's in here to inform anybody who is not fully versed in all things brood. Uh, we also get the old Laura, who was rescued recently, has a new code name, which is Talon. It's a good one. I like it. It's 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 got a it's got a good vibe, and she's got she's got such a like. There's such a personality to her, which is so very different from from the Laura that has uh, that we typically know. At one point, she like has just basically done surgery on somebody alongside Sink, the two of them who are both at this point 500 or so years old. They've experienced a ton. They've just done surgery together and done this thing. And, and Cyclops is like, uh, "Good job!" And she's like, she's like, pushes her hair back. She's like, "Thank you, young man." Yeah, <laughs> I, I laughed. So I laughed when I saw that. That was so good. So good. Uh, there's a Spaceballs reference and joke in here, which cracked me the hell up, which is fun. There's a great panel of Talon slicing a brood baby. And she goes, see you in hell. And she and she slices in the, the shape of an X. And the way Stefano kind of uses speed lines to get us that X shape is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work. She has no love for Brood. And it's really apparent in this one, which is it's really wild. There's a big revelation about Sink's powers and abilities in here. Uh, you got you know the Forge and Monet thing. There's also a great line where Sage calls Forge the smartest idiot on the planet, which I mean... Beautiful, beautiful. And there's the last page. There's so much about that. I, I just at the end of this book, I had that feeling of just like, oh, this book is so good. I grip my teeth and I get excited because it's damn good comics. All right. That's it for our picks of the week. But we have to talk about the award this week. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and talk about last week's award. Yeah. Last week's award was the Your Grandpa is a Deeply Terrifying Individual. And that was from Red Goblin number one, which, I mean, we kind of telegraphed it. There aren't many grandpas in Marvel Comics. Let's see. There's Cyclops, technically. He's a grandpa, mm -hmm. but he's not terrifying. Um, is Does Uncle Ben count as a grandpa? No, he, I mean, Peter doesn't have a child. That's true. We're talking about issue of Spider-Man. That comes out this week. There's a great moment where where Peter's like, "This this is my mom and dad." Oh God, freak! So good, so good. Um, yeah, very few grandpas, and definitely Norman being the most terrifying gave it away. And we had early, early winners. We had Christopher Shep Anthony come in with an email early on Wednesday saying, I'm happy to report I found this week's quote in the first book I looked in. Red Goblin number one, I knew a terrifying grandpa had to be about Norman Osborn, especially in a week where two of the books on my pull list had Goblin in the title. I love that of all people, it was Normie's mom who said it. She has been through enough with that terrifying individual, and I don't blame her for not worrying about him while she shields her son from harm. Thanks for the podcast. I've been loving the Reading Club guests lately. You've made me go back and start reading Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty. That right there, Christopher, is exactly what we love to hear. Like, we want to make sure everybody who's listening goes back and checks out all our Reading Club picks because we're, we're going to pick bangers only. There's going to be no duds. We also got a tweet from our friend Steve Agnew at Viking Prince, uh, who was just 30 minutes behind. He tweeted out saying, enjoyed Red Goblin number one and was happy to find this week's quote. 
We got a great email from Reverend Wormwood who said, I'm in New Orleans and haven't heard my city yet. It's in the Red Goblin book. First time emailer. And I feel like I should send this quick as tons of people are probably doing this right now. Real quick. Love the show. I've turned a bunch of people onto it and made some good friends because of it. So thanks for being a weekly staple of badassery. Also love my local comic shop, Crescent City Comics. Ooh, Reverend Wormwood. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love to hear that. We love new states, new cities, new comic shops. Uh, Big thanks, of course, to Werewolfy who wrote in and uh, is getting on the recommendations we sent last week for some great comics featuring Ant-Man and Kang and all of them. Finding the quote, uh, our pal Mitch, again, also getting to see uh, the quote. And big thanks to Richard over on Twitter who found the quote and said, Until Red Goblin changes its book title name to Rascal, make mine Marvel. Y'all. If Rascal is not in a movie in the next couple of years, we riot. How about that? I love Rascal so much. Protect Rascal at all costs. Yeah, it's a great, great book. Such a good book. All right, that's it for last week's award. We got to talk about next week's award. Um, Um, Ryan. Yes. You ready for this new award name? I am. Hit me. All right. This week, we are giving out the Little Islands and Little Meats Award. God, I... Just come on. Just come on. I love it so much. And I can't wait for people to find it in the book because it just it cracked me up and it's so good. Uh, all right. If you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're among the first, I may send you a surprise. So stay tuned. Please, of course, mark your messages as OK to read on the show so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us that name and location so we can give them a shout out. All right. Time for some awards to be dished out to some comics, starting with Avengers Forever number 14. There's a lot of fun stuff in here, a lot of brutal stuff. Something happens to Agamotto, the first Sorcerer Supreme of Earth, and it is wild. Uh, Namor has a great line in here. I will wade in your innards, you lead-faced churl, he says to Doom. And I was like, yeah, guitar solo is so good. Um There's some great stuff if you are a Steve Rogers fan. I love, love, love this entire story. But I am going to give my Little Islands and Little Meats award to the description of Mephisto as the devil's creepier uncle. Cracked me up because he's not the devil, but it is is very funny. He's he's the creepier uncle. Exactly. Next up, we have Captain Marvel 46 and... We were talking about this earlier in the episode, but this, you know, this is a brood story. We have two teams. Um, we have some X-Men in here. We have some Avengers in here. And they're both kind of on rescue missions. Half the team, which is Hazmat, Quanin, Captain Marvel, and Spider-Woman are out to save Binary. And then on the other half, we have Gambit, Polaris, and Wolverine trying to help save Rogue. And so they were watching these two rescue missions kind of in parallel. And I, I like that this type of storytelling because it's very much like shows the the risk and like the stakes for both these stories while intertwining moments of like narrative like dialogue which is really cool because you get to learn a little bit more about these characters especially carol and Quanin. but i am gonna go ahead and give my little islands and little meats award to hazmat for just being the total mvp of this issue like what a badass yeah hell yeah 
Uh, we've got Hulk number 12 here. It's the we're, we're getting like beating the drum to the return of Titan, the, the Hulk's Hulk, which is just a gnarly, gnarly thing. There's a great quote in here that Hulk says, simple things amuse simple minds, which cracked me up. And also, come on, man, stop being a jerk. Just like stop condescending to these people who legitimately just want to hang out with you and be your pal. But I'm going to give my Little Islands and Little Meats award to freaking Ryan Otley. Just... What a great storyteller. We know he does such amazing action. The violence level that he brings to the page is so incredible and so intense and so wild. But his work with giving the emotions of terror and fear and panic such breath and such like vibrancy and you really feel for the characters who are going through those things is special. All right, next up we have Invincible Iron Man issue number three. And this story takes place in two time periods, right? We get the past, uh, we get a short reflection where we get to see Tony trying to essentially find someone to take over his position at Stark Industries, someone who he can trust. And as we get that story, we, you know, we get to see some sequences from the past where we get Tony Stark in the uh, Silver Centurion, like, suit which is a really cool throwback um but we also get to see the war machine like helicopter that is piloted by roadie which i thought was really funny to see um but we i want to go ahead and give my little island and little meats award to tony stark's mullet because i love it it's i love to see it um Mm -hmm. and i'll never never forgive him for that i legitimately seen mullets in in like out in the wild now no you and don't i'm very excited by it i think it's cool. no bring them all back bring them back mm-hmm. everybody get a mullet all right let's move on to marauders number 11 there's a really beautiful lockheed variant by even Sharvin, which I, I want everybody to check out kate pride in this has a big plan for genosha of all places so no spoilers there but there's some things happening i'm going to give my little islands and little meats award though to the panel of fang aka dokken aka akihiro with a baseball bat and a dragon on a shoulder, it is dynamite. Dynamite. Next up, we have Mary Jane and Black Hat, issue number three. And uh, here we are again with our girls in limbo. And this time they've encountered a familiar face. We get Sim uh, helping them out. They're kind of working out a deal to steal the soul sword for Belasco and I'm going to give my little island and little meats award right away to this trio because they work so well and yeah. it's not because it's not because of the teamwork as much as it is because they're all pretty much like smart enough to realize that they're going to st- like stab each other in the back the first moment that they get but because of that it makes them a good team because they're like okay like I know how you can you're going to fool me so I'm going to do this instead and it's just helping out the mission as a whole and I love the way that this story is written like shout out to Jed McKay yeah Honesty. That's all one needs. All right. We've got Monica Rambo Photon issue number three this week. I like this one even more than the first two. I think this one is really like hitting its stride in here. It's a, it's a really fun one. We've got a big mystery about what the heck is going on for Monica with like characters coming and going and this new version of, of the Beyonder and all kinds of like, what the heck is going on? And she, even she, you could like almost feel her rubbing her temples through most of the issue. Like, like uh, and talking about literally everyone who is around her. It's really fun. Uh, evaluing ties in her Ironheart run in here in a cool way. So read that on MU. Um, there's also a whole scene with beignets and I want, I want to be Thor right now stuffing his face with beignets, powdered sugar all over it. That is, that is all I want in life. 
anyway, I'm going to give my Little Islands and Little Meats Award to a new alien species that is established in here, which great job in getting their look, their mission, some history, their place in things, just the the world building as it was, you know, universe building of it all within just a couple of pages and making me care for them, making me like want more stories and learn more about them. I think that was just super cool bit of business. All right, next up we have Murder World Moon Knight issue number one. And this, this issue not only reveals a lot, but it also just like keeps like surprising me like this this whole story keeps surprising me we're learning a lot of things as our characters learn it but at the same time there's like other things happening in the world and we're not really paying attention to them uh but they get pulled to a head here and there's some moments where i would like my jaw dropped but i'm gonna go ahead and give my little island and little meets award to the moon knight lmd in this issue because not only does he give us a a rendition of moon river but also i gotta think jim's up for this one because he quotes Sailor Moon in this issue, and it is magical. All right, time for our Sins of Sinister issue for this week. It is Nightcrawlers number one. Uh, one, there's a bunch of great variants on this one. Just go check those out if you're a variant collector. Some really great covers here. Uh, but we, I, I think I'm going to give my Little Islands and Little Meats Award to the Nightcrawlers themselves. They are a really cool deal. They're Chimera of Nightcrawler and other mutants, other characters. They are sent as assassins for uh, one of the Sinisters, and they're called the Legion of the Night, which is a neat thing. But they go through a whole bunch of things in this issue. We see some actual cool little bits of heartbreak around them, um, which I, I dig. This issue pulls in stuff from Legion of X, Powers of Ten, Al Ewing's books in really cool ways. A big revelation about Mother Righteous in this one, who's been in Legion of X for the last bunch of months. So a lot of stuff going on. Also, there's a quote in here from from Sinister saying, finally, I can make Banff snicked a thing. Which, give me that. I want more Banff Terrifying. Snicked. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Spider-Man issue number five, and this is the the monthly title by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley. One, I'm going to give my Little Island Little Meets Award to a variant cover by Karen S. Darbo and Rochelle Rosenberg, which is a Monica Rambeau photon like variant cover. And at first I was like, why is this here? Like, it's such a like, like I know it's the Black History Month uh, cover, but I was like, it just feels like this would have been better to go on like the the Monica Rambeau book but then I forgot that there's a backup story here that features Monica Rambeau and I really really enjoyed it um but fair warning this issue is really really good um but also like pulls some heartstrings and it just shows why Peter Parker is such a good character um because it very much is like a, a what if type story but not a whole lot has changed like it's like minor things here and there and even though we see these minor changes, the way that Dan Slott writes this story is still super fascinating. I'm really excited to see where this goes, um, but I've really been enjoying this Spider-Man series. This is my favorite issue of the run so far. It is, to me, it's like a flex by Dan Slott and Mark Bagley to tell one of the best Spider-Man stories where Peter Parker is not Spider-Man in it, where it is it is a Peter Parker story, and there's, oh, there's so many great moments that are beautiful. God, I'd love that issue. Freaking hell. All right. We've got Spider-Man The Lost Hunt number four. I'm going to give my Little Islands and Little Meats award to the fact that this really gives 
a very definitive, solid origin of Craven. It's, it feels pretty key. You know, see how there's a connection to Wakanda in, in throughout his history and all kinds of stuff, the, the people he's been closest to. Um, also, there's a great mix of artists that are used throughout this issue to establish different sections, time periods, settings that, that give you a different feel for what's going on. Next up, we have Star Wars issue number 31. And we, when we last left our heroes, they were stranded in no space. And we get to learn a little bit more of the history behind no space and what has happened in this little pocket of the universe. Um, there's a little bit of a revelation, more of like a mission statement. Um, really excited to see uh, how this story progresses. But I'm going to give my Little Island and Little Meets Award to a moment between Lando and Holdo. And I'm not going to say what it is. But I was like, wow. I loved it. I'm, I'm here for it. More Star Wars this week with Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 31. Uh, Y'all, this was very nearly one of my picks of the week. It is a hell of an issue. Yeah, my boy Ethan Sachs coming in with a banger. And, and Paolo Villanelli, the artist here, there's a sequence of two heartbroken people that are kind of mirroring each other towards the end where it just like really pulls at you but there's also big action as well big emotion i'm going to give my little islands and little meats award to valence versus vader that is the like the centerpiece of this issue and it does not disappoint it's valence like a man possessed he is angry and he is going full bore after after vader but vader also says during the fight you have become tiresome. And I'm just like, ooh, you you done, boy. You done. It is, oh, this is a hell of an issue. Oh my God. I loved it. If you've not read any Star Wars Bounty Hunters, pick this one up just to see a great battle, great Star Warsy and stuff. And then you might want to go back and check out some more. Heck yeah. All right. Next up, this could have been a pick of the week for me. It's an amazing issue. It's Wasp issue number two. And the thing I love about this story is that Al Ewing, I think I talked about this when we were talking about the first issue, but you can tell how much love Al Ewing has for this character. Like he is pulling deep from the lore of this character. And in this issue, not only is he doing that with uh, Janet and her history as the Wasp and like her history with her parents, her dad, um, but also with Nadia, like he pulls a story out of all new, all different Avengers from 2014 and new Avengers um, here and ties it into some of the stuff that happens during Janet Van Dyne's like origin story or like earliest history as the Wasp and really makes it feel it really builds this connection, this genuine connection between these characters. They're not just, you know, like stepmom and stepdaughter. They are very much like connected by this and their history as, you know, individuals, which I really, really liked um, because, you know, we don't really get to see these two together. And I'm going to give my Little Island Little Meets Award to these two because they are growing closer and closer to each other. And I love seeing uh, Janet as a like mother figure for Nadia. Like she constantly is reassuring her about these things. And like, even if she has doubts, like she is very much like Nadia, like I trust you. Like I, I wish I could do this, but like, you know, I'm going to let her go ahead and do that. And like, I, I love that we get that internal monologue from uh, Janet while the story is playing out. That's a great issue. Really good. So good. Really good. All right. We've got Wolverine number 30 this week. I just... Come on, man. This book could have also been one of my picks of the week. Uh, there's a great line in here. Cover your ears and open your mouth. 
which cracked both of us up. We were, we both had that on our possibilities list for, uh, for quotes of the week. Um, man, uh, I, I feel there, I'm going to give, oh man, there's so many ways I can go with this award. The little <laughs> islands and little meats award. I'm just throwing them out here. Uh, I'm going to give it to weird as hell. Black Tom, who just like throughout this entire series has been so much fun. And uh, he's getting weirder and weirder as Krakoa goes on. Speaking of Krakoa, there's a quote in here I would give my award to. Why is this island always growing so much pain on it? Which should be a poster for Krakoa because, God, this island, it just destroys us. And it's so good. Why should paradise be this way? Ugh. But the pace of this issue is just like, go, go, go. Wolverine is going to kill a mother and I am here for it. Ah! Good ass comic. The And the last page. So you get to this point and you, there's this like satisfaction of a final page. And you're like, oh, and you're breathing. And you're like, oh no. But there's a feeling at the same time. You're like, it's not done. And then you get the, the pre, like the schedule for the next bunch of books and you flip the page and there's a stinger dude. And it's like, oh, it's it was, not done. And it's what a moment. And I was so angry. I was so, I was just like, yes kill us murder us this is the book it is so wild i god freaking wolverine man love it he's great in this next book too we have extreme x-men number three and he is like and this book is pretty much living up to its name it is extreme x-men this issue is a full-on fight we get so many great team-ups we get a gambit and wolverine team-up where they're fighting against uh a another mutant who is possessed by ogun in this issue and at the same time, we have Rachel and Kitty Pride dealing with uh, Ogun in like a mental, like, I don't know what to call it. It's like not an astral plane, but it's more of like a, it's like a mental space where they're in yeah. their heads fighting against Ogun. Um, and the thing I liked about this issue, one, we get a uh, a reference, because this is Cl Chris Claremont writing this uh, story, but we get a reference to his Gambit series that came out not too long ago between Gambit and Storm uh, thrown in here. So it is kind of like a tie-in. It's not something that you need to read, but it is mentioned here, which I thought was cool. Um, but I'm going to give my Little Island Little Meets Award to both Kitty Pride and Rachel Summers, because Kitty and Rachel forever. Amen to that. I love them. Yes, lots of great comics. Also, lots of great collections this week. A ton of stuff, some omnibuses and more. I want to highlight Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Volume 1. Revolution is now out in trade paperback. So the story we talked about for the last two friggin' episodes, you can go pick it up if you don't have it already. Then Volume 1 of Daredevil and Elektra by Chip Zdarsky, the Red Fist Saga, which has been so good. That's it for our physical comics. We over on the digital side of things, uh, we have a bunch of new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. We have X-Men Unlimited issue number 74. We have Spider-Verse Unlimited issue number 37. Avengers Unlimited 33, which is a Moon Knight story, which I think is fun. Love Unlimited, Deadpool loves the Marvel Universe Infinity Comic issue number 37. I'm really excited for that. We have Marvel's Voices Moon Girl Infinity Comic number four. This one's for Ryan, who is Modoc Infinity Comic issue number one, and Alligator Loki Infinity Comic issue number 19. Love it, love it, love it. All right, also new to Marvel Unlimited this week, previous picks of the week, Sabretooth and the Exiles number one, Fantastic Four number one, and Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number six. So stuff that we talked about heavily this week, last week. Now you can start to get into those series. Love those. And 
some of the books that are hitting Marvel Unlimited, filling in some holes. Now, I know we mentioned some of these last week, some date shifted, so they might not have hit, but we're getting to see some issues of Quasar come in and what I think people have wanted for a long, long time, filling in some holes from Spectacular Spider-Man. With that all said, let's get into our reading club again. Jasmine, set us up. Yes, we are talking to Marvel editor Darren Shan about one of his favorite stories, Daredevil, The King of Hell's Kitchen. Very excited. This was like my foray into Daredevil. So this was, I love this story. Hell yeah. Let's get into it right now. All right, Jasmine, are you ready to get on the highway to Hell's Kitchen? Because we're talking about some Daredevil comics with Marvel Comics editor Darren Shan. Hello, Darren. Hello. Yeah, 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 yeah. Darren, we're going to get into like who you are and what you do at Marvel in a minute. But like, we got to talk about this book. Tell us what book we're going to be talking about right now and why you picked it. Okay, uh, we are talking about Daredevil, volume two, number 56 through... 60, which is called The King of Hell's Kitchen by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Um, And the reason why I picked this is because uh, this was like one of my favorite comics uh, back when I was in high school and college. I was, I no longer am a Wednesday warrior. Uh, where I would just go into the comic shop every week and just buy a huge stack of comics. Uh, and Bendis and Maleev's Daredevil was always at the top of my stack. It was always one of the first comics I would read because what they were doing with that character was just insane. It was crazy. Um, I think it was, it was uh, they were doing some landmark stuff with the character. And Daredevil was one of my favorite characters uh, at that time. Uh, starting with the Kevin Smith, Joe Quesada run, and then all the way up to Brubaker. Um, and then Mark Wade stuff. Like every, everybody's done great stuff, but the start of the Marvel Knights run was where I became a Daredevil fan. Same. I mean, Marvel Knights to me is always going to have a sweet spot because those were the books that I was picking up because they just didn't look like any of the other comics mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and I remember this one specifically because I was like, whoa, comic books can look like this? Like... It was just so much different, so gritty, so dark, very noir-ish. And the stories that were being told were like no holds bars. Like it was nuts. Yeah, Yeah. this is, uh, I have very fond memories of this run. So this starts releasing January of 2004. So this is through the first half of 2004. I was a year or so into my time at wizard magazine here. And I remember very specifically living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, but I remember reading daredevil and taking it home and sitting on this lounge chair that we had in our living room and our, in our apartment, I shared with some friends. And I remember specifically reading this run and in certain issues, I would read it and I would just look at it when I was done and just throw it down. Cause I was like, how is this comic? this good it was like driving me nuts because i was so enthralled by it yeah. uh, from the, the dialogue to the art to everything about it is so complete and and also it feels very of the time and of the era yeah i mean the mm-hmm. other thing that's going on right now is the daredevil movie that starred ben affleck came out the year prior 
<laughs> like that was 2003. That's what got me into Daredevil. Like, I mean, besides yeah. the, uh, the Spider-Man animated cartoons and like the appearances there, like I remember going to the theater, seeing this with my dad and being like, I need Daredevil comics. And this was the stuff that I would see in the shops. Wow. I sat down to reread this on Sunday and I was like, oh my God, I have to record this thing with these guys. And I haven't read this comic in probably when it was first published. I was like, let me just start reading the first one tonight, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll be done with it by by Wednesday. And I ended up just reading the entire thing all over again in one sitting. So uh, it still it still holds up for me. Yeah. So Brian's first issue of Daredevil, he he does a he like I think co writes or writes Daredevil Ninja, a limited series. Um, is one of his first things at Marvel back in 2000. And then he, his first arc of Daredevil is starts with number 16. Um, he does a bunch of issues in there. And, and I think he comes off when we do the, the first echo story or second echo story, something like that. Um, but he's also writing Electra and alias launches September of 2001. And yeah, he'd already been doing a little bit of Daredevil work. Okay. There's a moment here where it was like, Oh wait, has he been working on Jessica yet? Like Jessica yes. Jones yet? Yes, yes. So by this point in the Kings of Hell's Kitchen arc, I think he's wrapped up Alias because at the end of Alias, and we're talking about 20-year-old comics, and we can spoil this, Jessica Jones was <laughs> pregnant at the end of Alias, and so she's pregnant in this arc. But oh, that's right. during the overlap of both books, Matt Murdock hires Jessica to be um, his bodyguard when his secret identity was revealed to the world and he needed public protection, basically. He didn't actually need the protection, but he just needed the appearance of protection. Mm -hmm. And so I think Brian wrote scenes that were almost exactly the same in both Alias and Daredevil. That's pretty cool. Um, You would see it from Jessica's point of view in Alias, and then you would see it from Matt's point of view in Daredevil. Yeah. There's um, the last issue of Alias comes out November of 2003, and this arc begins in January of 2004. There's a little bit of a gap uh, between those, but also then we launch Pulse, which is the Mm -hmm. sort of uh, more Marvel Universe (laughs) all-agency-friendly version of Alias that launches in February, Mm -hmm. same time as uh, Secret War launches. Like Brian is just oh my god yeah blasting away at this very point. prolific yeah 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 it's crazy it's bananas um darren you mentioned you were a wednesday warrior i would say though you are still deeply immersed in comic books being a marvel comics editor uh tell us a little bit about well i, I want to hear about what that entails on a sort of day-to-day basis but before that how did you get into working at both marvel but in comics in general yeah so the first job in comics that I ever had was at DC Comics. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after I graduated college. I was just like, I don't know. Like I, I majored in economics, which is has nothing to do with what I do now. Um, and I, I was just like, I don't really want to actually go into finance like that, like that stuff. You know, I everyone that I met in finance told me, oh, you really got to love finance in order to be in finance. And I was like, I, (laughs) oh boy. Okay. All right. Well, what are some other alternatives? Um, And I, I met somebody who worked in Warner Brothers music 
back in back then, back in like 2007. And they asked me like, oh, well, what, what kind of stuff do you like? I was like, well, I really love comic books. He was like, why don't you apply for a job at DC Comics? And that kind of just blew my mind because the, I was like, I thought the only jobs at DC Comics was writer, artist, colorist, letterer, editor, that type of thing. Um, and it didn't occur to me that I could apply for other positions there. So I, I started out, I applied and got this job in what's called the publishing operations department, uh, which is kind of like the business side of the company. Uh, but it had to do with comics. So I was like really into it. Uh, and then eventually uh, DC editorial opened up some positions in their staff. Uh, and I became an assistant editor. I did that for many years, got promoted to associate editor. And then when DC announced that they were moving to LA, I was like, eh, let me go talk to some people at Marvel because <laughs> I, 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 as much as I loved working on the DC characters, I also really loved New York. Um, so fast forward, you know, a few months later and I got hired at Marvel as an associate editor where I've been ever since. What was the first book you were working on? First characters, first office you were in here at Marvel? Totally Awesome Hulk was the first comic I ever worked on at Marvel. Um, and that was that was kind of a big deal to me because it was Frank Cho drawing it. And I had never met Frank. I had never worked with him. Um, he might've been one of the biggest artists I ever worked with in my comic career. And I got to know him pretty well. And it was a great relationship. I think we should get into our, our book, our reading club selection again, Daredevil King of Hell's Kitchen issues 56 through 60 by Brian Michael Bendis, Alex Malev and colors through some of the issues by Matt Hollingsworth um, lettered by VCs, Corey Pettit. And yeah, this is, this is wild. Having not read this in quite a long time, I had forgotten that this is a, like there's a year gap. Yeah. In when yep. this starts up, it's like the end of the, the last big storyline that uh, Brian did. He had had daredevil beat the crap out of Kingpin in front of everyone. And basically like declared himself Kingpin. and was like, this is my town. The kitchen is mine. And in, in so many words. And then boom, we're a year later, which is yeah tons of fun opens up lots of possibilities and and actually throughout the course of the these five issues give us a whole bunch of little reveals yes um I, the way i the way i see it is that th this is like the the halfway point in brian and alex's run on the book and the way this issue opens it really feels like here's the start of season two yeah you know, the yeah. first half was like here's the, here's the first season and that would, and him taking over hell's kitchen as the, as the quote kingpin was like the cliffhanger of season one and, yeah, and the finale, the finale. Exactly. And, and so opening it up a year later, I just thought that was really great. You know, like they weren't like, okay, we're going to show like what that means being the kingpin and everything. They were just like, no, nah, we're going to, we're going to gloss over all that. We're going to show you the after effects of that. I thought that was so great. I also thought it had like, I don't know, like I did I, like now coming back to the story with like a lot more comic book knowledge and just having read so much more. It reminded me a lot of like Squadron Supreme where it's like, OK, we're going to take this high concept philosophical type of idea where it's like, OK, what if we just had Daredevil fix everything? 
what would that look like? And like flip it on its head and like really explore that or take a look at like the what if. Let's explore the aftermath of this. Like the thing that people are always saying, like, why don't superheroes just do the yeah. thing already? Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's this comic came out in 2004. So that this was like a little bit after the trend of like the, the one of the hottest comics in the industry was uh, The Authority from mm-hmm. Wildstorm, where it was you know, just like, just like Squadron Supreme, it's like these superheroes who are going to decide, like, we're going to decide what's best for the world. And we're going to like, we're going to depose, you know, authoritarian leaders and all that stuff. It's interesting that Brian took that approach with Daredevil, but he still made it like very street level, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't Matt Murdock taking over the world. It was Matt Murdock taking over just this one neighborhood in, in New York City. Which is so like just funny to me when you get that scene where like you get that small intervention where we get some of the other street level heroes. Like we get Luke Cage, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and Reed Richards. Yeah, They're just like, hey, man, like we get it. You you kind of are holding down the fort over here, but it's having other ramifications for like the rest of New York City. Like it's not just this little pocket here. Like there's a lot more. And he's just like, what are you talking about? Like you can take Queens. You can take Harlem. Like, come on, let's go. And I'm just like what is happening right now? Like this man is on a different plane of existence. Well, it, it's great because it also, it, it doesn't say that he's right or that he's wrong. It says, well, you do this and this happens here. And if we do this, if we take, if I take over Queens, if, if Luke takes over Harlem, if, if, you know, Reed and, and Steven take over Manhattan, well, then the criminals just leave. They go to Pittsburgh. They go somewhere else. The pro- the problem doesn't go away. You're just moving it out. And, and Daredevil's like, well, my area is clean now. Somebody else has to, you know, it's like there's all these, these angles to it, which is probably how these conversations would go. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I, I like how uh, Daredevil was like, Spider-Man, you should, you should take all of Queens. I'm like, Queens is huge. <laughs> huge. <dude." laughs> Just in terms of like surface area, like that's so much bigger than Manhattan or Harlem or or any of the other places. And, and also, what about Brooklyn? Nobody cares about Brooklyn. They're just like mm, we're not going to deal with that. Brooklyn's one yet. fine. Yeah, it's fine. There's no there are no criminals in Brooklyn. We didn't have Miles yet. Is the issue? You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're a couple couple years out from Miles. Miles. Well, obviously, you know we talking about the creators here brian michael bendis the thing that you know we haven't had brian at marvel for a number of years so and i don't i don't get to read everything everywhere all the time so i i've like lost my my remembering what brian's writing is like Uh, and especially here he writes a lot he is dialogue heavy especially when he's doing ben urich which is clearly you can see how much he loves that character, how much of a journalist mind Brian has for things and how like easily he, he fits into that investigative mode. Uh, but man, there's some panels in here, which are like, I'm just thinking of, all right, Alex is drawing this whole panel, but the only thing we get is like the middle third of a figure and there's <laughs> balloons all around him. It's wild. Yeah. There's just something about his Brian's dialogue too that felt really snappy. The the thing the thing that I realized about why I love this comic so much to begin with was that this was like a very character driven story, and by that I mean like all the events that happen in this storyline is because of Daredevil's actions because he had 
had this nervous breakdown as was revealed in, in, in part three. And it's, it's kind of like why I love comics. I love comics because they're character driven, not so much plot driven, you know, I, I love plot driven comics too, but sometimes comics really have to rely on what's the high concept. What's the high concept. And it's like, you know, there's more emphasis placed on that. And then it's like, okay, now how do you fit the characters into that plot? That, that makes sense. This, this is like the opposite of that. This is like the characters are driving the story, which I, I just, I, I, I love that. I really appreciate that. I love that you, you, you talk about that part three, like that moment when you realize like, oh, it's revealed that Daredevil is having this like mental breakdown. And like, yeah. this is all just a reaction to that. And it like, literally it's like, you're putting a, a bunch of different pieces of a puzzle together. And then once you get that one, you realize, oh, like the whole story kind of like flips on its head. You're, you're looking at it in a new new ways um you can revisit those previous issues and kind of like you know see them in a new light and i i love that um Mm -hmm. but it's very much like you said like it's a character driven thing where even in that that shot or those like those moments when we get that like it is ben yurk talking to uh matt murdoch and he pretty much says like what does it look like when the devil of hell's kitchen has a mental breakdown or something along those lines. And you, it, right. it's not even like an agreeing, like he doesn't agree. He just starts crying and you see the tears flowing oh down God. Matt Murdoch's face. Like, Oh, got me yeah. so bad. When I, when I first read that back in 2004, like I, my mind was just blown. I was just like, what, what? Like from the, because Karen Page had died. And you know, in terms of like real in terms of like uh, uh, a real life timeline, like the death of Karen Page was like years ago. <laughs> and so for, for him to bring it back full circle like that was just, ah, I loved it. I loved it. He was, he was using continuity to tell the story as well. I mean, it was, it, it just felt so, I don't know. There was something very masterful about it because you know, then the last few panels are just like silence. And then the very last panel is like daredevil, like shedding tears and like mm-hmm. crying as if it was like, he's, he's like accepting it, accepting it or admitting it. And it was just, Oh my God. Like this scene was the one that really stood out in my memory when I think of this storyline. And it's like one of my favorite pages in the book. Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, we actually get stories about, our characters dealing with the trauma, dealing with these things and on an emotional level, as opposed to just, you know, like punching the bad guy who did the thing. It's these should have lasting repercussions. It's yeah. it's good. It's just so Marvel, you know, that's the DNA of Marvel. Like these are heroes with feet of clay who aren't perfect. And yeah. I mean, and, and the thing that I always loved about daredevil was that was the hero who really got beat up like physically and emotionally and mentally more than any other superhero. Yeah. Also just like you said, like it, it, the, the thing that like he's, he's reeling from the trauma that he's like dealing with right now is from that death of Karen page. And that happens years ago. And it's like it, going back to Brian's point, like Ryan's point, like, it is very much something like, you know, it's never too late to deal and like face these traumas. Like you can, you can revisit them. You can, re-examine things but like at the end of the day you still have to like confront it and deal with it and one of the things that i wanted to, to make sure we circle back to with that particular panel or that particular particular scene is how it is almost paralleled with the end of the story where we get matt murdoch talking to 
his wife, Mila, and she's just like, oh, you married me because of like, like, this has all been a reaction. Like, I, I am a reaction to your trauma. Like, that's why we did this. Like, what does that mean for me? And again, it does the same thing that that, that issue does or that previous scene does where it's like it makes you re- reconsider everything you've just read from her point of view. And like not only trying to help her husband, but also realizing that like what they what she thought she had with him isn't quite as special as she thought it was or there's a it's a lot more complicated than that and that was another moment where i was like damn that sucks like because she starts us off in this book yeah yeah that's right you brought up mila so i just wanted to also say like i really love that character i mean daredevil having a blind girlfriend slash wife i thought was just a really brilliant move on brian's part again like just like every character he introduced in the, into this book was just so great and fully realized. And you really feel for her, you know, like she's, she just, all she, all she wants is to just find her husband again. And then she finds out that he might have only married her because of his dead girlfriend. Like that yeah. sucks. Like that, that, that makes you sympathetic to her. And you like, you, you, you understand like why she can't really, stand to be around matt after all this well even when she's talking to ben and she like or when they come to that conclusion that this is what it is like he's just reacting to that trauma like ben's the one who brings up the karen page of it all she thinks that it's like i mean she even you have that that amazing scene where she grabs ben's hand and it's just like like could you imagine what it would what it would do to someone who's blind um to have their father shot in the head like this is like what a blind person sees or how they recognize someone that they love and then she has him feeling on his face. And then she's like, could you imagine if this was ruined like forever right. uh, by a bullet? And like, that was heartbreaking to read, but also mm-hmm. like to, to like, again, go full circle, you get to that. And you're like, damn, like, it wasn't just that. Like, that's not the, I mean, like, yes, that's part. I mean, that's why, you know, that's the origin story, but mm-hmm. like that is just one piece. And she's just very much like, I'm just trying to do the best thing for my husband. And I think that this is what it is. And Ben's like, oh, sweetie, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, that scene, the way that Brian wrote that, yeah, like you said, like if you're a Daredevil fan, you already know the origin, but it was like putting this new spin on it that you never would have considered. And and I thought that was, I thought that was great. I would love to pick his brain and just know like, where did you, how did you come up with that? Like, did you, did you know a blind person? Did you like, how did you, how did you even think that? Like as someone who, isn't blind like I, I don't know if that would have ever occurred to me so yeah uh just so good so, so good so good just the now just talking about mila for anybody who has not read these daredevil comics in full just brace yourselves it's a <laughs> lot and it's there's a lot going on yeah that's that they're amazing it's really hard to to stop reading after issue 60 not gonna lie uh speaking about books and things that are being built what do you got coming up you got guardians you got some other stuff yeah yeah um so we are launching a new dr strange book with jed mckay and pasquale ferry um stephen strange is back from the dead though i would say he never really died if you've been reading the book and it's him and clea just you know being the magical center of the Marvel universe that launches in March. 
And then in April, we're launching a new Guardians of the Galaxy series by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and Kev Walker. And <laughs> interesting enough, both Guardians and Doctor Strange are colored by Matt Hollingsworth, who colored hmm. Daredevil. Um, and he's doing some really fantastic work. But the new Guardians book is going to be a, a very different take on the team that we haven't really seen before. Kind of leaning into like a sci-fi Western look for that for that series. Uh, and the Guardians are in a much darker place than we've ever seen them. So, And all wearing cowboy hats. <laughs> and, and cowboy boots. Star Lord's, Star Lord's wearing a cowboy hat, and and you can you can have you can have Kev on one of your episodes, and Kev will probably tell you, yeah, Darren wanted wanted me to take the cowboy hat off of Star Lord, but we said no. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. This was awesome. Cool. Thank you for having me. I I really loved talking about this comic again. Big thanks once again to Darren Shan for coming on the show and uh, talking about some great, great comics and definitely stay tuned for Guardians of the Galaxy and so much more that Darren is helping bring to your faces. I love comics. Yay, comics. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us at pulllist at marvel.com and you can use the hashtag marvel's pull list on twitter if you want to submit the panel for the quote of the week if you find it let us know um but you can also rate subscribe do all the fun stuff on the podcast app of your choice because it helps other people find the show yeah 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 thank you all for listening i'm ryan and i'm jasmine this is marvel your universe